We can't believe it's already been a year. This is our 12th episode of Access Answers, and we have a very special guest here with us today. So as always, I'm your host, Julia Vergara, along with Angela O'Pry, and we have Dave Foley here today. Dave is officially the Director of Records and Information Management for One Oak out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and also leader of the Energy IG Network, rebranded from Susan Cisco, and I think you're going to tell us about the history. Well, thank you both, and uh, I'm really pleased to be here. You know, we'll, we'll see how the conversation goes. Uh, the Energy IG Network is, you know, really uh, something rather near and dear. It's just one of those grassroots type of professional networking groups, if you will, that uh, has made a difference, I believe. And so this uh, should be a very good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. So I mentioned that you work for a company in Tulsa, but I think you should share where you're actually recording from today. That's unfair because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Afton, Wyoming, which is uh, on the far western edge of Wyoming. In fact, it's in a valley called Star Valley. And the mountain range on the east side is in Wyoming. The mountain range on the west side is in Idaho. And uh, we are about 75-minute drive south of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And so it's beautiful here, bright sunshine as I look out the window, uh, blue skies, snow-capped mountains, uh, green pastures, horses grazing. It's, uh, you know, it's an outdoor paradise for me. So I've been in, I'm here for 10 days, and I'm making the best of every day of it. It's just beautiful here. Um, not very, not very crowded. It's a town of about the Afton is a town of about twelve hundred people. Uh, the altitude is uh, just over six thousand feet above sea level, so it's it's just nice, comfortable days and cool nights, and you know just just a perfect place for. So sometime maybe you'll you'll come out and try it. Yeah, I'm going to be there in June, so I'm very excited. Whatever recommendations you have, please send them my way. <laughs> very good. And warn me if you see any bears. <laughs> if we have time, I'll tell you my bear story when we were up near the Tetons a couple years ago. I'll tell you my bear story when we were hiking, so <laughs> you'll be okay. You'll be okay. <laughs> We've got we to gotta circle back to that at the end of this episode. <laughs> so also... A little notification told us this week that you might be there celebrating an occasion. Well, um, truthfully, yes. Um, <laughs> that, you know, I thought I had friends, but apparently my friends like to, uh, you know, go around me. Um, I did have a, we arrived uh, in the valley here Monday afternoon and met some friends, had dinner, you know, then we went back to our condo we're renting. Uh, the next morning, Tuesday, uh, I woke up to celebrate my birthday. I call it one of my uh, top five birthdays of my life because it was a perfect day and we were able to meet many more friends that we've made here and just have a just a full day, just a, a very casual, enjoyable day. And this is where I want to be. So it was a top five for me. That's awesome. It does not get any better than that. That's right. 
So, okay, let's go back to the Energy IG network. Yes, yeah, why yeah, why are we here? <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us how you got the idea to start the networking group and kind of the evolution over the last several years. I'm glad we start with that because I I must give credit uh to a few people. You know, and so I feel a bit embarrassed that uh, I'm speaking on behalf of, of these uh, wonderful people who, who really blazed the path before me. So let me start with Susan Sisko. Um, many people in the IG world, ARMA and other uh, associations are very familiar with uh, Dr. Susan Sisko. She lives in Austin, Texas. Many years ago, and now I'm dating myself, I'm trying to remember when I, when I met Susan, she was speaking at uh, Arma, Oklahoma City. And so I can't remember the topic. It was several, several years ago. Uh, I met her as she was speaking there. And as she was speaking, you, you know, as we do when we present, we like to have interaction with the uh, attendees. And so I was asking a few questions pertinent to the conversation in her presentation. And by the end of her presentation, it really became just a conversation between Susan and Dave. It, you know, and I felt bad because here I am really, you know, coming down all the way down to Oklahoma City to, to listen to her. And then she and I dominated the conversation. But that's how I met her. And, and what she had started was a records and information management uh, networking group. Uh, we called it the Records Management Roundtable. It was a group of about uh, 30 to 40 people. But, uh, you know, she, she was leading that and, and just trying to do the way that what Susan does is really promote the networking and the, the, the knowledge sharing within our profession, within this discipline of work. She wanted some help, and so I volunteered, and, and together, uh, a, you know, a few years later, I uh, really became a, a co-leader with her in this network, this records management roundtable, and we were able then to, to uh, move it a little bit further, advance it so that we were bringing in uh, knowledgeable speakers about uh, trending topics, we were able to establish our place at the annual ARMA conference in the fall so that we would have a, a roundtable there focused for the energy group. And our focus was energy. And that continued for a few years. Susan did a great job, uh, and I, I wish her all the best because she went into semi-retirement. And so she turned the keys over to me. And that, that I, I uh, willingly accepted. And we rebranded the, the term to try to bring it uh, more so with, you know, the conversation and the terms that we hear more today. So we rebranded it as Energy uh, Information Governance, Energy IG. And so right now this is 2021. Uh, and about around the time frame of 2018, 2019, Stephanie McCutcheon and, and I and Carol Ann Hartnagel came together because I needed some help if I was going to lead this networking group. They, they came to support me, and so I, I really appreciate that. 
then COVID hit, and like everything, everybody's in kind of a disarray, like what does this mean? We had to quickly shift to uh, really trust and and utilize technology even more so than what we had been in the past because we're, we're probably traditional or and some of us, like myself, are set in our way. So we weren't relying so much on, on technologies to you know, to have uh, webcasts and, and to bring people together that way. And so uh, there, there was a lapse with the Energy IG network. Uh, there was a lapse in what are we doing, how to, how to scramble, get people back together. Third quarter of last year, things were settling down, uh, whether it's work-wise for people, including uh, myself. Carol Ann Hartnagel and I uh, wanted to bring this back together, this network, and get it going again. Uh, we enlisted Todd Brown, who's in Houston and works for Access Sciences. We enlisted his help. And the reason is, is that, uh, again, the, the whole idea is that we're focused on energy, energy practitioners, IG practitioners, and the, uh, the service providers that help us be successful in what we're doing. So I know that Todd and Carol, uh, Carol Ann is uh, in Denver, Todd Brown is in Houston. They have a lot of contacts, well-connected with ARMA, well-connected with energy. And so we, we have a, a really good team now uh, to, to promote and to continue to uh, help the Energy IG network progress every time that we have an, another uh, a webcast, if you will. We're bringing in uh, knowledgeable people to help uh, our, our profession and these practitioners share knowledge, uh, learn best practices, hear about new trends. So that's that's progressing very, very well. That's kind of the, the history of it uh, to where we are today. But again, I, I cannot say enough for all the work that Susan Sisko, Stephanie McCutcheon, uh, Carol Ann Hartnagel, and Todd Brown have put into this. So it's not just a me effort. Uh, as I kind of tease with Carol Ann and Todd, you know, they have the brains, they have the ideas, and I'm just the pretty face. <laughs> so. so for our audience members who are interested in joining the Energy IG Network, how can they stay up to date with y'all's events? Julia, that, that's a great question. I should have added that kind of at the end. So we do have a LinkedIn site. It's Energy IG Network on LinkedIn, which uh, we will post any, any upcoming events. Our next one happens to be on June the 9th. And if a person wants to join this network through LinkedIn, just just click the join. I, I am alerted, and then I will accept them into that group. Also, they can send me an email, and then I will add them to my my uh, spreadsheet because I'm old-fashioned uh, to some degree. I will add their contact information to my spreadsheet, and so I also send emails reminding people of upcoming events so that they can use that email to register for the event as well as to log in to the event. We typically use Teams uh, for those webcasts and so through the email they'll be able to receive that information. But we welcome anybody who 
is tied to the energy network as a uh, IG professional practitioner or if they're in a company, a service company that provides uh, services to help us practitioners do our job and, and move our programs forward. That's what we're after. I think I got a reminder of the event in my email today. You did. How to be more persuasive. That seems powerful. And I think the speaker is Glenn Taylor. Glenn Taylor. That's right. Yeah, he's very well respected in Houston and has great content that he puts out. He absolutely is. Um, I have not met him, but uh, I have received feedback about him. I've actually stalked him on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> so, the the actually the webcast that we have planned for June the 9th with Glenn Taylor is a diversion from. Uh, some of the previous webcasts that we've had, which is more centered on up and coming technologies or best practices around existing technologies. Glenn is coming uh, to talk to us about people. And, the, and what I have found in the 15 years that I've been in IG, my career has been primary, a lot of information technology and then the last 15 years of information governance. But working with people it is always going to be, you know, a something of uh, a substance, if you will, that has to be reckoned with. You know, you will always find people within your organization and beyond that really want to work with you, that that uh, share your ideas and your goals. And then uh, the, you may find people that you need to persuade. You need to help bring them uh, to your side but through ways of helping them better understand the why you are doing something, the benefit for them to want to do something as well. So I think Glenn, uh, can help bring some of those ideas to the table for us to consider and take back to our jobs. Having those, again, it's those soft skills uh, that we talk about, uh, I, I think is very timely, especially with, uh, like myself, I am still working from home and many of us are uh, still remote from other people. Or if we are in the office, there's probably uh, a new set of criteria of how you meet with people. You know, uh, you know how close, uh, how many people can be in a conference room, whatever. Uh, so we might have to find new ways of how to relate with people, and I think Glenn can help us with that. So I'm looking forward to this uh, next webcast on June the 9th. Yeah, that should be great. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Adam Grant, if anyone is familiar with. Adam. I am not, but uh, now you have my, my interest peaked. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's, he's just great at the soft skills and he has really good advice and content. Well, maybe we need to add him to our potential speaker list. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's kind of at the level of Brene Brown, if you know who that is too. They're good friends. Yes, yes, we may just do that. Yeah. So, Dave, you've also headed an IG RIM study in the past few years, a study that you said develop, is developed by energy practitioners for energy practitioners. So can you tell us a little bit about what putting together that study was like and some of the discovered opportunities? 
Yeah, that uh, that was an interesting exercise. Uh, back in about mm -hmm. January of 2018, uh, you know, as I was writing my my own uh, goals uh, for for myself for that year, uh, thinking about more so what did how did I want to advance uh, my department at One Oak, uh, and how did I want to advance the program that we're we're uh, moving uh, through the company? You know how how can I raise that level that bar a little bit from where we were in the start of 2018 to, you know, a higher level. And, you know, whether at the time it was, uh, you know, through networking, whether it was through the Energy IG network, ARMA, uh, just uh, just because we, we all are a tight group, just calling people now and then, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, everybody's probably struggling with where, where are they in comparison to their peer groups? I know where I am to my own program uh, in you know the year before and the year before that. But how do I know that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm looking forward enough to be able to be on the right track for, for my company in terms of information management? So I thought, well, the, probably the best way to find out is to ask my peer groups, where are they? And... I had to make sure that it was in asking that that it was not subjective. My my honest concern is there's a lot of surveys out there, and I was reading some of them, and I thought, well, you know, at times it's it's good information, but the conclusion sometimes leads you to say, well, you have to subscribe to this service, or you have to do something that uh, only a you know a certain technology is able to do to help you. So so I was afraid that that slant would interfere and we would not receive honest information, honest feedback from our peers. I, I took that that idea again to Stephanie McCutcheon uh, and Wendy McLean. Uh, Wendy McLean is uh, actually the incoming president to ARMA right now. Uh, uh, Susan Voyer, who is an IG professional, and then also a gentleman, Dylan Williams, and uh, took that idea to them to say, why don't we build a study for the energy group and show that it it's really was developed for them and they will provide the results to them so that we know where we stood as an energy sector with advancing uh, you know a uh, records management or an information governance program through the energy sector now that's not to take anything away say from financial government pharmaceutical or any other business sectors but our focus is energy and so that's that's where we targeted and it took us much longer than expected to develop the number of questions. Uh, we ended up narrowing it down over the next 12 months, uh, narrowing down to 35 questions divided into four categories. Uh, the program, uh, for you as a practitioner, we, have, we want to know uh, some, some criteria, some information about the program that you have in place. 
We also want to know as a second category, the people and staff, how are you developing them? How do you recruit them? And other questions about staff. Process and automation, uh, you know, how involved are you in that? How, how forward thinking are you uh, through uh, processes and automation? How, how ingrained is that in your company's culture? And then some demographics. Uh, the results were pretty interesting. Um, we, we received the results uh, from about 25% of uh, the people that we had sent this to. At the time, the Energy IG Network had 138 uh, practitioners as members. And we received 24% response rate, which is 33 people. Uh, for, for something that is a, a homegrown grassroots study, uh, I thought this was pretty good because this is our first time out of the shoot. And, uh, you know, people were very responsive. And, and I really felt that they were being honest with and forthcoming about where they stood, you know, across those series of questions. We, we found a lot of interesting uh, bits of information that I, I thought was, was helpful in... The, the report uh, out of those 40, 35 questions kind of boiled down to something that, that really said, uh, you know, here, here's some interesting findings across the board that uh, in, in many cases in the energy sector, records management has been known or a program has been in place to some uh, degree for a long, long time. And it probably wasn't so until, you know, after Sarbanes-Oxley and a few other things happened that, that it really became more attentive. But we found that despite uh, significant efforts to really achieve program maturity, there's been little progress that's been reported. So over, you know, uh, for some, over the span of decades, there's been very little progress made. And one of those uh, things, I, I believe, is that what we found in the study is that while a lot of the uh, practitioners' programs, uh, whether it be an upstream, midstream, downstream, uh, it doesn't really matter. But what we found is that the program may have been in existence for a long time, and they may have an executive sponsor, or they might have uh, some form of a committee but, the, but there isn't really uh, the seriousness taken uh, to really advance that program. Uh, it, it seems that uh, the communication from, the, uh, from your sponsor, from that committee, uh, just, just isn't happening. And, and so the commitment uh, hasn't been really made yet. To, to really help advance the program. I, I believe that you have to have a program in place, uh, a solid program in place by way of how it's defined, how you plan to roll it out, and how you get support of it. If you don't have that in place, then you're, you're going to, to meander a, as you go forward, and you really don't know what goal you're going to hit because you may not have the support that you think you need. You need to establish that support. A, and you need to know exactly, as a company, 
the needs and the culture what, what's my target? Where do I want this program to be? That has to be defined. Having those in place really helps move the program forward. And so the study was finding in that, in that area, the, uh, the programs may have been around for a while, but they weren't maturing because they weren't really uh, being supported as as maybe they thought they were or they needed to be and and in some cases the programs really didn't have a, a charge of what was expected of them to deliver uh, it may have been and you know and I'm not I'm not looking at the report now but for example a um, particular company might have uh, their program in place thinking that, well, we have a policy, we have a retention schedule, we have our program. As we all know, there's so much more than that. And that's part of the problem is that not getting the support, the understanding goes back maybe to Glenn Taylor. How, how can you be persuasive so that your sponsors, your executive committee, your your uh Information Governance Committee understands this program and the needs of it and the value that it can deliver. So that there's the missing link. And that's a lot of what this study uh, uncovered, if you will, uh, of, uh, you know, what really what a lot of people uh, can look at and, uh, you know, work next to help advance their programs. So that's a long-winded answer that uh, we did do a study. <laughs> You know, we started in January of 2018 with an idea. We executed it um, in April of 2019. We uh, tabulated the results and and provided the report back to our members in September of 2019. And uh, you know, I, I think that we did a pretty good job for you know again our our, our energy members. Well, even though that was two years ago, it would be interesting to see if the if the feedback or the results would be the same now after COVID and the pandemic. Do you have any plans to do another benchmark survey? I am kicking the idea around. I will tell you that I had a call um, probably just a couple weeks ago uh, from a person who... who what was also thinking about uh, what was done, you know, a year and a half ago or so, and uh, wanted to peel this back in, in one dimension on a lot of what I was just referring to, and that's really the maturity of the program. So it, it's at what point do I, as the leader of uh, my program where I work, uh, how much it empowerment do I have? What authority do I have to move this program forward? And we, were, we touched on some of that in this uh, study. And so the conversation a couple of weeks ago was, well, maybe we need to look a little deeper. And why do people not have that authority? And how do we overcome that? Because with that authority again is, you know, tied up in the communication, the persuasiveness, the understanding of what information governance really brings to the company in terms of redu reducing risk, adding value, uh, better information management, savings and costs in so many different ways that, uh, you know, it, it, it can help 
achieve some of those goals that uh, we believe that we're, we're working towards, but to what extent? And who do I need to give me that authority so that I can move forward? And do I, I need to be sure that I have the support of, you know, for that. So we, we're kicking this around. And I, I'm thinking more and more that uh, we may, you know, just look at that one dimension and go another round at this, especially with COVID and, uh, you know, how, again, we all had to scramble to start, uh, you know, at, take advantage of technologies, uh, different ways of working. And all. And so authority might have some different connotations now uh, tied to it. And so I, I think now's the time to, to really look at that. Access Answers is owned and operated by Access Sciences. We are a consulting and business process outsourcing firm specializing in information governance, technology enablement, and business strategy. Since 1985, our dynamic team of experts have been committed to meeting each of our clients' unique information needs. Can we talk briefly about pilots and paws? <laughs> I... I would love to talk about pilots and paws. That's uh, uh, so. I have to admit, I did stalk your LinkedIn <laughs> before our conversation today, and I just thought it was so great what y'all do. So, yeah, actually, uh, I wish I could just share the hundreds of pictures that uh, my wife Deb and I have taken uh, over the past uh, two two and a half years that we have been involved with pilots and paws. Uh, I, I, I guess I encourage everybody to uh, go to the pilots in letter in pause.org website and read more. But uh, um, my take on it is that Pilots and Pause is a nonprofit organization that is in place to help place abandoned, lost, uh, otherwise unwanted dogs, cats, and some other pets, place them into new homes. And the, the difference there is that these homes are, are not next door or across town, but they may be across country. Um, uh, it, I got involved in it. Uh, I, I guess the background is uh, my wife and I uh, enjoy aviation. Uh, we have our own small airplane. Uh, we live on a private airstrip. And so flying for us is really a, a leisurely uh, activity. Uh, the advantage of it, of course, is that it we can fly uh, to a lot of places that uh, and get there very quickly uh, in, instead of having to drive or take an airline uh, to where we want to go. But uh, we also realized that uh, flying for us, we, we wanted something uh, with purpose. Flying is enjoyable, but we wanted to, to do something that, that uh, you know, kind of gave us a, a little more purpose for flying. And what better way uh, for me than to give back to others? I really have a, a strong desire to help others and to give back because I've been uh, very, very fortunate with over my life with those that have helped me in different ways. My wife and I, Deb, uh, we were in Oklahoma City uh, at the airport 
and uh, th there was another person who had put uh, parked their plane right next to ours and had a, a large dog with her. So I uh, struck a, a conversation, asked her, you know, because I love dogs, and I asked her, the, this uh, other pilot, you know, a little bit about the dog. She said, well, um, I'm flying this dog to its new home in Kansas City. Uh, it was, uh, it came out of Texas. It uh, made a stopover in Oklahoma City, and it's going on to Kansas City. So we, we talked a little bit more, and she told me that she uh, was a volunteer pilot for Pilots and Paws, and that uh, is all she had to say. I went to the website, uh, read a little bit more, and signed up. We fly dogs, uh, whether it's a couple puppies. And again, I wish I could just share all the pictures because all this is just flashing through my mind. Uh, we have flown huskies out of the out of Lubbock, Texas, uh, that were going to Ohio, and so. Uh, I flew down to Lubbock and brought them back to the Northeast Oklahoma, met another pilot who took them to St. Louis, who met another pilot who took them on to Ohio. So uh, there's a lot of people on the ground that volunteer as well to coordinate the flights. Uh, it's it's uh, usually uh, two or three pilots that will uh, take different legs of the entire journey for the for the pets, but these dogs are now being placed, uh, you know, actually being saved out of uh, kennels uh, and other places where they would be euthanized if we, they were not saved and moved to a new home. So we have moved, Deb and I ourselves, we have moved, uh, again, you know, whether it's one dog or I remember one flight coming out of, um, I think it was, uh, it was somewhere near Amarillo. I, I believe, but it was a, uh, a mother dog, um, her six puppies, and then we also were flying 10 kittens all in, wow. Oh, and wow. we flew them to, uh, from near Amarillo to Northeast Oklahoma, met a pilot who was taking uh, them on to uh, Nebraska to meet somebody to take them on to Minnesota. But, uh, I fall in love with these animals uh, more so than what I ever realized. There's been many that I just wanted to just take home, <laughs> you know, but I can't do that. But uh, I do know that I'm saving lives. Uh, we receive a lot of pictures back uh, of these homes uh, or these animals, these pets, when they're placed with their, with their new owners, their foster homes or their permanent homes. And the, the thanks we receive is, it, you know, it's just everlasting. So Pilots and Paws is just my way of giving back. It, it allows us to do something that we really enjoy to do. But at the same time, we know that we're doing something uh, very beneficial for people on the receiving end as well as for the, the animals uh, that are involved to give them a, another chance at life. Angela and I both love dogs, so you are definitely going to have to share some pictures with glad, us. <laughs> well, glad to do that, and maybe we'll fly down there, and you can just fly with us and take a dog somewhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> you are looking for another dog, I Julia, so pass that on to Grant. I, <laughs> I did find their Instagram account, too, so you can see some pictures on their Instagram. <laughs> Okay, so Dave, you also, I've seen a presentation, albeit it was also a 
a couple of years ago before the pandemic and we were all locked at our homes about <laughs> the seven habits, which was your take on the seven habits of highly effective people. Yes. Are you going to give away the seven habits or? Um, I, I should have them committed to memory by now. I mean, <laughs> a friend of mine who we all know, Todd Brown, the, it's it's an interesting story of how some of this came about uh, because I was I was building the strategy for the program that we have now in place at One Oak, and um, if anybody knows me, they know that I I am a long time Stephen Covey uh, follower, if you will, of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so, anytime I talk about this, I, I always give uh, credit to what Stephen Covey had uh, written and and promoted, uh, you know, through his adult life and. Developing the strategy, my, my RIM or my IG strategy, you know, I was just jotting down some of what I felt were the, at the highest level, some of the, the key components of a program. And as I looked at that list, I, I started to realize that this looks very similar to the seven habits of highly effective people. You know, and so I thought, well, maybe there's some tie-in there because honestly, my list as I was building it, as writing it out, it, it ended with uh, just seven components, and, and so I thought th this is more than a coincidence. Um, for example, uh, Stephen Covey, you know, he he says, uh, you know, in one of the habits to be proactive. Well, uh, that goes back to our uh, empowerment and our authority and persuasiveness piece. And to be proactive, you have to have a piece about you that uh, where you have to relate with other people. You, you have to be able to communicate and work with them, but you also have to personify your program. You have to give it a face. You have to, you know, to show that it's more than just words on paper, but but it's really the, the embodiment of the people working in this and the results that they're achieving. So being proactive, you know, just tied in. And, you know, and I tie that also with developing the policy as a cornerstone to the program. And to me, that was that's being proactive. If you don't have the the policy, then uh, you, you aren't you aren't setting a stake in the ground. Uh, you know the proactiveness to say this is what I stand for. And so uh, you know I was reading through that, and I, I, I going back to Todd because I'm not going to let him off the hook. Uh, <laughs> this was way back I, I, again. I, I'm dating myself. This, this is um, you know back in 2012 or so, and, and I shared this with him. And I said, "What do you think about this?" And I and I actually put it in a way to to uh, you know I put Stephen Covey's model. Uh, I'm a visual person, so Stephen Covey has a model of the seven habits, and I put it what I was thinking in the same type of model. And Todd took that and just kind of tweaked it, put some color to it, and kicked it back. And he said, "Yeah, you might have something here. You know, give it give it a try. It might work." And so um, I played with it some more, and uh, as time went on uh, here at One Oak, uh, you know, it really 
it really took hold. It, it made sense because the strategy, the, the seven habits of a highly effective program, uh, it, it's flexible. So as the business changes or that influences come in to affect the business like COVID or technology changes, this whole strategy can flex with those changes as well. And that was important. I, uh, Stayed in touch with Todd, and in 2014, uh, you know, I told him how how this was progressing, and I think that uh, you know it's going to work here. So uh, before I knew it, I get this invitation from Arma Houston that says, "We're so excited that you're now the speaker uh, for our August meeting." You know, <laughs> so so I thought, well, Todd set me up, and now I need to I need to present this, and so that's really uh, was my first time the presenting this strategy was at Arma Houston in 2014. Since then, I have shared uh, the idea the, uh, and the Covey influence through this whole program. Um, and I, I still receive a lot of extremely favorable uh, feedback and follow-up questions. Um, you know, Covey says, put first things first. And for me, uh, you know, one of those things putting first is the records retention schedule. If you don't have a solid records retention schedule, I don't think you're going to have a very good or, or a, a solid uh, information governance or records management program. Uh, Covey says, you know, uh, seek uh, first to understand, then to be understood. And for me, that's communication and training. This what we do as practitioners is so much tied to working with other people. Uh, what I say is that we cannot, as a RIM department or an IG department, we cannot manage the information for you. Rather, we can help you in the business understand how to better manage your information. And so, seeking first to understand, I need to know the business group that I'm working with. What's their pain points? What's their processes? Um, you know, what information do they use and how do they use it? And then from that, we can turn around and help them improve their processes, better manage their information. You know, so that that's another example. Uh, start with, you know, uh, Having goals, Covey talks about having goals so that you start with the end, begin with the end in mind. And for me, that's really having the strategy in place. You know where you want to be, you know, and that's my target. You're going to move left and move right some as we move forward. But at least I, I can keep my sight on a target and I know where I want to be to, to really help the company. And that's really to reduce costs, manage risk and help improve processes, help improve ways to uh, better manage information. You know, so you bring all these components together because they, 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 they're, uh, they can stand alone, but they also are tied to each other uh, to, to help people in our business understand more about the information that they are using and are responsible for. And so uh, that's really a, a pitch, if you will, of the uh, seven habits of a highly effective program, you know, and, and again, it's something that, uh, you know, has been very, very well received. So thank you for asking about that. I, I'm kind of proud of it, but uh, 
at the same time, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just anymore. It just seems like, well, why didn't I think about that before? It's just, it's just been right there the whole time. So our time together is unfortunately coming to a close, but you owe us a bear story. <laughs> oh, a bear story. All right. Oh, yeah. Got to hear Yeah, it. yeah. Well, it's, it's I mean, th- this happened, and we've got the pictures, so I'll share you with the pictures as well. And so Deb and I uh, were, were out here again. We, we come to Afton very regularly. One day we decided to go to the Tetons, and so the Tetons uh, is uh, just north of Jackson, Wyoming, and so for us that's about a two-hour drive, at, you know, just over an hour to Jackson, and then uh, you continue to go north, uh, and there's the Tetons. So there's a large lake at the base of the Tetons, Jenny Lake, and uh, it's popular. Uh, the Yellowstone is still a little further north, of course, and so a lot of people uh, like to go to Yellowstone. But the Tetons uh, are uh, very rugged mountains and, and the most photographed mountain range in, uh, you know, of any mountains in the United States. The Tetons are the most photographed mountains. But at the base of the mountain is Jenny Lake, and there's a hiking trail. If you choose, you can go around the entire lake, which is a little more than six miles, I believe. Uh, Three miles to get to the other side are um, a a waterfall, which is uh, very, very nice to to view if you're up to a three-mile hike just to get to the waterfalls. Uh, but it, but it, they're breathtaking and it's it's worth going if you if you're up to it. So Deb and I are walking uh, hiking the trail around Jenny Lake and we're about two miles in and uh, you know so there's a few other people on the trail ahead of us behind us or coming from the other direction and uh, you know I remember this. Uh, this couple uh, that uh, were also hiking, they weren't too far behind us, but they were from Maryland, uh, Baltimore. And uh, the gentleman had his, his little can of bear spray that he bought. And, uh, you know, so he thought he was ready, you know, in case anything happened. And so we're walking along, the, hiking the trail. And, uh, and I, I think it may have been Deb that said, you know, keep, keep watch, you know, because uh, someone, you know, had heard that uh, there was a bear nearby. So uh, we're, we're hiking along, and Deb mentioned that to me. And I, I just happened to look up uh, on these rocks above me, you know, about 20 feet up, and there was a bear cub. Oh, no. <laughs> so we stopped and just watched him, and he, he probably saw us, no doubt. He, he smelled us, I'm sure, but he had no interest in us. And so he's walking along this, this ridge of these rocks above us and, and then finds his way down to the path. Now he's about uh, 15 yards in front of us, walking in the same direction that we're walking. So we're just kind of keeping pace with him for a little bit. And we, we snapped some pictures. And he's, I mean, a bear cub, you know, it's just like a little kid. You know, he's just having a fun day. And uh, then finally he makes another turn and goes down this, this little path uh, to the lake. I guess he wanted some water or some food. But, uh, you know, we were, it, it was just ironic that people are talking about bears and then there's one right there, you know, that you have no idea. He was quiet. I, we had no idea he was there until I just 
happened to look up and there he was so so it you just have to respect them um usually they'll stay away but uh you know we weren't going to a uh, uh, move any closer to him, but uh, you know it, it was very nice to see. I had not seen a bear up there uh, in the times for for quite some time. Uh, years ago, I would well, actually, it was the same weekend as Memorial Weekend, and I was uh, just outside of Yellowstone, and uh, a few cars were pulled to the side of the road. So I thought, well, there must be something going on, and there was still snow on the ground, a fair amount of snow. Uh, in late May, but uh, there was this um, mama bear and her two cubs just oh, no. just on the side of the road in the snow, and the cubs were just playing around in the snow. Aww. They're rolling around and all, but uh, the mama bear, of course, was very protective, and so we just stayed in our cars and just watched them play, and then after about, you know, 10 minutes or so, then they just went off into the woods. So, uh, you know, Nothing frightening. Angela, when you uh, visit, uh, you'll enjoy it. If you see a bear, you'll just be thrilled to see it. Thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been so fun chatting and hearing stories and more about the IG Network for Energy Professionals. Indeed. Uh, so, th yeah, I really appreciate the time and an opportunity to uh, help inform people about the Energy IG Network. And again, if uh, anybody has interest, uh, LinkedIn, uh, they can join there or they can email me directly and I'll uh, be sure to add them to my spreadsheet and uh, make sure that they stay informed uh, because what we want is them, you know, anybody who's part of this network to really participate and share, ask questions and, uh, you know, don't wait for a, a network uh, event, but uh, now you have an opportunity to connect with your peers at any time. And that's really what we're after is to, you know, promote that networking, share ideas at any time, uh, you know, amongst anybody. And so please, uh, you know, I encourage people to go out and if they're not already to become a member of this group. Mm -hmm.